0: last out-of-line broadcast entitled Economic Myths and the Science of Deceit Part 6, we continued our appraisal of the peculiar underpinnings of Marxist populist economic theory set forth as 18 foundation stones in the Truth and Money book by Mr. Thorne and Mr. Warner. So far we've covered 13 of those maxims in the last three broadcasts, ending on principle number 14 in our last message. In today's message, we'll pick up where we left off after our first break. Meanwhile, if I were to best summarize the first 14 precepts of Mr. Thorne and Warner, it would be to quote Karl Marx, who actually wrote their outline in his Communist Manifesto at the Fifth Plank, which says, Centralization of credit in the hands of the state. Now, that's not to be construed as a mere subdivision of government, but rather the central or sovereign governing body by means of state capital and an exclusive monopoly. It was perhaps Maxim number 14 that hammered home the tyrannical nature of their legislative proposal more explicitly than all of their other confounding foundational doctrines. Number 14, you remember, said a sovereign government exercising its monetary authority creates money and spends it into circulation simply by writing good checks on no funds to pay for authorized national expenditures You know, it's pretty difficult to differentiate good checks from bad checks under this principle isn't it and you know, i'd be so embarrassed to admit such a belief in print if any of us get caught doing this we go to jail which is what i mean by a tyrannical two-tier system two sets of rules one for the elite global club members and another set of rules to govern the rest of us to quote thomas jefferson Tyranny is defined as that which is legal for the government, but illegal for the citizenry. Could it be stated any more clearly than that? Each of the 18 foundational principles of monetary science, as they call it, to which populists subscribe, stand or fall, in accordance with their interpretation of the United States Constitution, at Article 1, Section 8, Paragraph 5, regarding the power to coin money, and regulate the value thereof. From just these few words, the authors and countless critics of the Federal Reserve System insist that we accept their skewed interpretation, that Congress was given the power to compel free people to surrender their labor and production in exchange for what they call good checks written on no funds. While Mr. Jefferson, as one of our ancestral giants, would define such legalized theft As tyranny. Is there enough God-given common sense left in America to ratify Mr. Jefferson's definition of tyranny? If not, then the cause for liberty is hopelessly lost. Mr. Thorne and Mr. Warner quote Article 1, Section 8, and Paragraph 5 no less than three times. On page 14, 139, and 154. And make direct reference to it no less than six times more. On page 16, 23, 157, 209, 222, and 228, while simultaneously applying a gross misconstruction thereto in all nine, at least nine of those instances. So important is this misconstruction of the Constitution in substantiating, I should say, in substantiating their mythology that we will open today's investigation on this topic before we move forward to principles 15 through 18. Despite glowing praise for our constitutional forefathers, nowhere do the authors even mention Article 1, Section 10, and Paragraph 1, which mandates that no state shall make anything but gold and silver coin a tender and payment of debts. Oh Well, greetings and welcome back to this segment of Datum Line. I'm your host, Bruce G. McCarthy, if you're joining us at this time. Our message today is entitled Economic Myths and the Science of Deceit. As I mentioned on the uh, other side of this break, I was going to go into, and will go into now, the Truth in Money book written by Mr. Thorne and Mr. Warner. Now, it's written in dialogue form, and there are several people involved in this uh, I presume it's an imaginary dialogue, although it may be very similar to dialogues that they've had with real people. And we want to see how the authors interpret Article 1, Section 8, and Paragraph 5, to which they seemingly pay great homage, uh, the, the Constitution to which they pay homage, I should say. And they're not the only ones. I'll be going to uh, Honest Money by Dr. Charles Norburn, Billions uh, for the Bankers and Debt for the People by Sheldon Emery, American Free Press. And we'll also take uh, the uh, Dennis Kucinich bill and we'll analyze that. Concerning just this one facet here, Article 1, Section 8, and Paragraph 5, it comes up frequently. In the Truth and Money book, we're going to start at page 14. This is the third edition, 1989. The dialogue now. <clears throat> Do the Federal Reserve banks and the commercial banks create our money? Martha asked. Yes, they do, I replied. The Federal Reserve System has assumed the power to create money. This in spite of the fact that the Constitution states specifically that the authority to create money must rest with the sovereign government. That word sovereign will come up quite a few times, and we'll address that in a while. Article 1, Section 8, Clause 5 says, The Congress shall have the power to coin money and regulate the value thereof. Well, they quote it correctly. Uh, but they interpret it incorrectly. It says coin, doesn't say create. We'll turn to page 16. The question no one ever seems to ask is this, where does the Fed get the authority to create money? The answer is that the Fed has assumed the money-creating authority which the Constitution delegates to the Congress. Did the Federal Reserve Act change the Constitution, Nancy asked? No, it didn't, I replied. According to the Constitution, money-creating authority still belongs to the Congress. To change this, there would have to be an amendment that would remove Article I, Section 8, and Clause 5. No, they would have to add it to to Article I, Section 8, and Clause 5 because it doesn't say it. I'm not in favor of removing anything from the Constitution, Martha said. The authors of the Constitution didn't act on whim. Oh, you're right, Martha, they didn't. They had a very good reason for writing this provision the way they did. You're right, Martha, they did, I replied. They go on. Page 22, question number 48. Who gave the Federal Reserve the power to create the money necessary to cover its checks? Wouldn't you like to be able to do that? Wouldn't you like to be able to create the money to cover your own checks? Boy, what a swindle that would be. Now, page 23, here's the answer, Ed says. Ed is another member of this dialogue. The Congress, because this power to create money, is given by the Constitution to Congress, and only Congress can delegate this power, and this it has done in creating the Federal Reserve System, an agency Congress authorized to create money. Does Congress really have the right to delegate its constitutional power to create money to an agency that has privately owned regional banks? Nancy asked. This is a very important issue, I replied. If we say that the Congress does have the right to delegate this constitutional power, then we would also have to agree that it is all right for Congress to delegate any of its other powers, such as the power to declare war, end quote. Well, at least on the subject of delegation of authority, I would agree with these authors. There is a principle in law that powers delegated are not redelegable. But you see, they continue to repeat the concept, the nonsensical concept, that the Constitution, which says that Congress has the power to coin money, really means to create it. And there's a little difference between the word create and coin. Well, let's move on. Let's go now to page 139. Here it goes. Let's look once again at what the Constitution says about money. Article 1, Section 8, Clause 5, The Congress shall have power to coin money and regulate the value thereof. Immediately after that, they say, The dictionary tells us that to coin means to make, to create. End quote. Okay, what dictionary are they referring to? I don't know. They say the dictionary. I thought there were a few more than just one. Okay. Okay. Let's go to the word coin uh, and find out what that word means and see if the word coin means to make and to create, and that's all it means. We'll go to Webster's American Dictionary of the English language first, 1828. Quote, to stamp a metal and convert it into money, to mint. Okay, that's definition number one. Definition number two, to make as to coin words. Uh, Okay, so that's to invent words, okay? Three, to make, to forge, to fabricate, in an ill sense, as to coin a lie, to coin a fable. We'll go to Webster's 1966 New World Dictionary of the American Language, College Edition. Definition 1A, to make coins by stamping metal. B, to make metal into coins. Okay, Primary definition is always to stamp metal into coins. Number two, to make up, devise, invent as a new word or phrase. Random House College Dictionary, 1982. Definition number three, because we're dealing with a verb as opposed to a noun. Number three, to make money by stamping metal. They give you an example how you might use that in a sentence. The mint is coining pennies. Definition number four, to convert metal into money. They give you another example how to use it in a sentence. The mint coins copper into pennies. Hey, you know, it was 1982. They weren't going to coin gold and silver, you see. That was all that was all done away with, so we're just left with pennies and, and copper, you see. Definition number five, to make, invent, fabricate, to coin words. Remember now, Mr. Thorne and Mr. Warner said, the dictionary tells us that to coin means to make, to create, and those were the only definitions that they gave to that word. As if to say this definition, was legally sufficient to explain a word that our forefathers used in the principal document to formulate our system of government that you do not do. So let's go to Black's Law Dictionary and to Bouvier's Law Dictionary with respect to this word, coin. My Black's Law Dictionary, I've only got a second, fourth, fifth, and sixth edition. The second edition is 1910. The sixth edition is 1990. All of these editions that I have, 2nd, 4th, 5th, and 6th, all give the same definition. Here it is. Quote, To fashion pieces of metal into a prescribed shape, weight, and degree of fineness, and to stamp them with prescribed devices by authority of government in order that they may circulate as money. End quote. Now, what kind of an authority does blacks go to? They go to legal tender cases, seventy-nine. United States Supreme Court reports at page 457, or 12 Wallace, United States Supreme Court reports at page 457, or 20 Lawyers' Edition at page 287, or Sayers v. Hedges, 22 Indiana reports, page 282. As an afterthought, perhaps, and without any court sites, they include another definition, to invent words or phrases. We go to Bouvier's Law Dictionary, and we find exactly the same definition as we found in Black's, with exactly the same legal tender case site. Any mention of coin meaning to print or create? No. Does the Bible say in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God coined heaven and earth? Or in the beginning God printed heaven and earth? There'd be a little difference between coining it and printing it, wouldn't there? What does the word create mean? Webster's 1966 dictionary says, to cause to come into existence. If we go to Webster's 1828, however, we get a little bit more emphatic definition, several of them, in fact. Create, to produce, to bring into being from nothing. That's kind of how the uh, populace want to do it. They want to create money out of nothing, you see. To cause to exist. And then uh, Webster cites, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And he cites Genesis chapter 1. So we see Webster's 1966 left something out of their definition. Uh, They only said to cause to come into existence. Webster's 1828 said, to bring into being from nothing. But Webster's 1828 goes on to say, and even cites biblical authority, to say that there are other aspects of creation. For example, definition number five, to make or produce by new combinations of matter already created and by investing these combinations with new forms, constitutions, and qualities to shape and organize. Webster gives another definition from the scriptures, if you will, or an application, I should say, also from Genesis chapter one, where he says God created man in his own image. A little difference because, you see, man was created out of the dust of the earth. Definition number six, again, Webster's 1828, to form anew, to change the state or character, to renew, gives an example from Psalm chapter 51, where David said, create in me a clean heart. But the word create, according to the authors, Mr. Thorne and Mr. Warner, populists and other Federal Reserve critics favoring nationalization of the Federal Reserve, means to produce or to make out of nothing. As when Uncle Sam writes good checks on no funds. Now, if Congress isn't up to doing it, the immortal Emperor caligula would surely oblige them. Yet the Apostle Paul says in Hebrews chapter eleven and verse three, Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. So Paul is confirming that God created the heavens and the earth out of nothing. Well here's our next break. This is Datum Line, and I'm Bruce G. McCarthy. Greetings and welcome back to this segment of Datum Line, Economic Myths and the Science of Deceit Part 7. We're going to turn to page 154 in the Truth in Money book and we're going to repeat one more time this myth that these authors and populists and so many Federal Reserve critics parrot over and over again, as if to say that if we repeat it enough times, it'll become true. Anyway, here's part of the dialogue again. According to the Constitution, the Congress has the power to pay the government's debts and create money. Here it says so right in Section 8. The Congress shall have power to pay the debts and provide for the common defense and general welfare of the United States, and to coin money and regulate the value thereof. That's right, Martha, I said. The power to create money constitutes the most important gift that the writers of the Constitution gave to the nation. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Enshrining the power to create money within this great and inspired document means that our government need never be the slave to debt and our people never taxed to pay usury. Oh, wow. Uh, they change their mind from time to time, though, as w- whether or not the people never need to be taxed. And by the way, uh, legal tender notes are a tax. They are the most insidious tax ever devised. John Maynard Keynes, the economist, understood this quite clearly when he said the government could create money, or I should say through inflation. It could confiscate the wealth of the people, and inflation is what this stuff is. Okay? He said that it was the tax that it was the most difficult for people to evade, But it was the most easy tax to impose by any government when it can can impose no other. Anyway, back to a truth in money book, page 154. The government doesn't have to go to the Fed or sell bonds for the money it needs to pay its bills. The debt-free money the government needs is right at hand if the Congress would only exercise its constitutional right and power to create it, end quote. Well, that's nonsense. But here we are, well over 200 years after the Constitution was ratified, and Congress isn't doing it yet. Why have they waited so long to exercise the power that they had from the very beginning? It's because they never had the power. And in 1861, when Congress first tried to play this game, they knew they didn't have the power. They all knew they were violating the Constitution, a subject we're going to get to in a subsequent broadcast if not the next one, then the one that follows. Okay. Well, let's turn now to page uh, 157, where they give us rule number one, part of the six rules of monetary law they say in a free society. I guess if you say it's a free society, I guess that makes it so. Uh, rule number one, the national treasury shall be the one and only creator of cash money and universal monetary credit in the economy. I have no idea how they can tell the difference between cash money and credit because they don't plan to use anything as money. The whole system is credit. That's why they call it a treasury credit money system. They say this rule establishes the foundation for the federal government to resume its constitutional prerogative to create money. It can't resume a power it never had and regulate the value thereof. They don't understand that word either. This rule returns the money-creating authority to the sovereign government. There's that word sovereign again. Once the U.S. Treasury is established as the fountainhead for all money, which is credit, not money, it will no longer be necessary for the banking system to create money. Therefore, this rule renders fractional reserve deposit expansion obsolete. Okay. Let's go to another quotation. This is on page 209, where they say, quote, at the top, answering some objections. Hold it a minute, Ed said, interrupting. The idea of the government creating debt-free money sounds good once you understand how the whole Treasury credit money system fits together. But if you tell people that the government ought to create our money, they'll say that sounds like communism. Well, I'll tell you what, Ed, that sure sounds like communism to me. Read the Communist Manifesto. They won't remember that the Constitution decrees that our money is to be created and regulated by Congress. Doesn't say that at all. A lot of people won't even know that this is what the Constitution specifically requires. Well, let's go to the next one. We'll go to page 221. You can ask the question now, won't Congress go crazy with the infinite checkbook, though? Martha asked well, at least Martha's got some common sense. No, I replied. The Constitution requires a strict appropriation process, and that will have to be followed under the Treasury credit money system. Wow. These people are naive. The difference is, however, that the Congress won't have to borrow the funds that they spend. <laughs> no, they won't. They're going to create it out of nothing. <laughs> the expenditures will be carefully monitored, of course, to assure that they are kept in balance with economic activity. And that the money is being extinguished through tax and interest receipts. I don't suppose we'll ever be free of pork barrel projects, Carl added. See, here's where the authors, by way of Carl, concede to the potential for fraud. They're not going to come on and say it. They're going to let Carl say it. But I can see that if the economy is really healthy, a lot of things can be done by private enterprise, and we won't have to depend so much on what we can get the government to spend in order to have enough jobs, for everyone, and enough money in circulation. Will we have a balanced budget, page 222, Nancy Hash, or will there have to be a constitutional amendment, like people have been saying? No, a constitutional amendment isn't necessary to balance the budget, I replied. Provision for a balanced budget is already in the Constitution. Article 1, Section 8, Clause 5. Here's another break. This is our halftime break. we are listening to Datum Line. I'm Bruce Please join us on the other side of this break. Welcome back to this half of uh, Datum Line. Economic Myths and the Science of Deceit, Part 7. You know, populists believe in God-men. God-men are the people who can create money out of nothing. That's what it means, ultimately, to create. That's what God did in the beginning. In the beginning, God created heaven and the heavens and the earth. That was out of nothing, just as Paul confirmed in Hebrews 11, verse 3. Okay? And populists believe in that type of creation. They want to create money out of absolutely nothing. They find nothing wrong with it. Nothing whatsoever, except that everybody else goes to jail except the entity that they have established somehow. And they believe even from the Constitution was able to do that. They insist only that whoever does this money-creating hold federal office while managing the American division of the New World Order. Well, we'll go back to the truth in money book page 222 where they say quote returning money creating authority to the Congress means that the government will be able to create the right amount of money to pay its expenses doesn't that sound so good the right amount just as the Federal Reserve banks do today you see the Federal Reserve Banks do it too they create just the right amount the books will balance perfectly Oh, that sounds so good because Congress will create exactly the right amount of money to pay each bill no waste and no shortage I tell you what. You give me the power to write checks against nothing, and I promise you, I will write just the right amount. I won't have any waste, and I won't have any shortage. Let's see now. There's a new bizjet from Cessna. let's say maybe it might be a citation. I don't know what they. Well, I don't know what those things cost these days, but it's in the millions. So let me just throw a figure out. Let's let's, let's put six million on it. I'll just write a check for six million. right to the exact change if necessary. That way there won't be any waste and there won't be any shortage, and I'll get a bizjet. And then when I want to buy myself a new villa, maybe down in the Caribbean somewhere, I'll I'll write a check for just the exact amount. No more, no less. Okay? Oh, so we won't have to have a constitutional convention after all, Ed asked. No. Because it's not necessary or it isn't necessary, I said. One of the greatest gifts our founding fathers gave this nation is the right and the power and the authority for our representative government to create money debt-free and spend it into circulation for the benefit of all the people. <laughs> End quote. Of course, you're going to confiscate the goods and the services from those people with this stuff. That's going to be for their benefit, of course. We're going to go to page 227, which they call now the subtitle, Conclusion. So you see, the changes can be made, I said. Abraham Lincoln, the only president in modern times to be responsible for the issue of debt-free money, had this to say about the sovereign right of government to create money. There's that word sovereign again. Abraham Lincoln said this, apparently. The privilege of creating and issuing money is not only the supreme prerogative of government, but it is the government's greatest creative opportunity, end quote. Wow. Boy, there's another strike against Abraham Lincoln, huh? Well, we're going to cover the legal tender debate of 1861 later in this series. If well, I don't think it's going to be uh, in our next broadcast. It'll have to be the one thereafter. But listeners may be surprised to learn that virtually every voter in Congress, every voter for Lincoln Greenback, United States notes, was against them. And they knew that they were violating their constitutional oath when they did it. And we're going to go back to some old documents. We're going to turn to page 228. In 229, and we're going to close out with the Truth in Money book, or at least on this part of it. The great and inspired men who wrote the Constitution of the United States of America had studied the systems of government which have existed since the beginning of recorded history. I think they did, yes. In their wisdom, they specifically decreed that the control of our money system belongs to the federal government under law. Well, they don't have that quite right. The authority to create money is the most powerful tool in the affairs of government. Wisely used and properly administered under law, it serves the public interest. In the hands of a privileged monopoly, how about about Congress? Would that be a privileged monopoly? It becomes the most subtle form of tyranny to which any nation on earth has ever fallen victim. The only defense against this tyrannical use of money creation is a correct understanding of the sovereign right of governments. Governments in the plural, you see, to create money for the benefit of all the people. You know the Russian government does that, but the United States wasn't established under a Russian constitution. It was established under the United States Constitution. The establishment of a Treasury credit money system waits on this wider understanding. They say once established, this system will let's get get this now. Once established, this system will eliminate inflation, usury, the national debt, the deficit, involuntary unemployment, business cycles, and the need for corporate and personal income tax for all time. This is the truth in money. That ends the book. Well, they talked about maybe reducing income taxes. Now they tell you we're going to eliminate them for all time. And you can probably. Why? Because what they impose is the most insidious tax ever devised. That's why they don't need others. Now, somebody's going to ask the question whether this is legal. Believe it or not, they ask the question in their own book, but they don't answer it. So I'm going to take you now to The Truth in Money, page 77 and page 78, where they create one of these fantastic systems of theirs on the planet Pluto. Might just as well go into outer space and create your utopia. We arrive on Pluto Page 77, it says here. We arrive on Pluto and set up our new community. We develop our economy and soon need a more convenient means than barter to exchange our goods and services. Get a load of this now. Since I have expert knowledge of finance, I persuade the colony to adopt the system of bank checkbook credit as now used on Earth and to appoint Carl as the banker with me as consultant. The majority of the colonists are satisfied to put the complicated business of banking into someone else's hands. So they approve legislation, which I write, giving the banker exclusive authority to govern the monetary affairs of the colony under broadly stated objectives. Carl and I then proceed to work out operating rules and procedures that we may alter from time to time, as our good judgment might dictate. Carl names this private corporation the Pluto Central Bank. He assumes the authority to create Pluto dollars, just as the Federal Reserve assumed the authority to create United States dollars. But we didn't bring any money with us to Pluto, Nancy said. Where will Carl get the Pluto dollars for his bank? He will create them, I replied. Out of what? Out of nothing. Turn the page, page 78. Is that legal? Martha asked. Well, good. I'm glad somebody's going to get around to asking a question of legality. So that is just a yes or no response, right? Is that legal? Martha asked. Here's how they ask. answer, I should say, a yes or no question. Well, remember, that is exactly the way the Federal Reserve and commercial banks in the United States create money, out of nothing. So they kind of avoid the question, don't they? Well, that's what we do here. Must be Okay. Yes, I know, Martha said, but I can't seem to make myself understand that banks can create money out of nothing. Here's how the authors calm her unsettled nerves. Quote, Someone must create money. As we have said so many times, money doesn't grow on trees. End quote. Well, they've dodged those questions. Now, lest Listeners think that Mr. Thorne and Mr. Warner are alone in this delusional world of the United States constitutional money being created out of nothing. Let's turn to Honest Money by Dr. Charles Norburn. Charles Norburn wrote his book, Honest Money, the United States Note. Well, there's a non sequitur if there ever was one, and that's the title of his book, which is his premise. Well, first off, money is not a note, and notes are not money. And we could dissect this page by page. I mean, these books are so loaded. I mean, there isn't a page of these books that doesn't contain a delusional statement of some sort, false definitions or no definitions at all. But page 14, he says, the Constitution was adopted in 1789. It provided in Article 1, Section 8, Paragraph 5, that Congress shall have the power to coin money and regulate the value thereof and of foreign coin. He quotes it correctly. That's good. Then we'll go to page, let's see if I can get to it now. Oh, come on. Page 133 and 134. This is under a subtitle, Nationalization of Our Monetary System, which is what he proposes. He proposes to nationalize it, which is the kind of thing that you hear from South American dictators, isn't it? says here that uh, the Declaration of Independence declares the equal rights of man, that no man shall be given by law an advantage over other men. But he's going to give to Congress this, this power. Our concern here is the gift of the nation's monetary system to financiers. The Constitution provides in Article One, Section 8, and Paragraph 5. We've now turned to page 134. Quote, Congress shall have power to coin money and regulate the value thereof and of foreign coin. He quotes that correctly. Page 136. We'll jump over there and he says actually i think we want to go to number uh, one thirty seven the creation of this nation's money shall be in these united states this is part of his bill you see its proposal shall be in these United States Treasury banks and nowhere else. So he's going to create a monopoly just like everybody else does, pursuant to the fifth blank of the Communist Manifesto. Its method of production shall be by entries of government indebtedness in their ledgers or upon their computers and a corresponding issue of credit. Now he acknowledges that what the government is going to issue is an instrument of indebtedness. Now that's significant. Why? Because the title of his book is Honest Money, the United States Note. He believes that notes are money. Well, money is not an instrument of indebtedness. Money is how you pay debts. Notes are how you defer debts. Now he's waffling. Now he's decided that maybe notes are debts after all. Further down the page, 137, the question may arise as to whether it's proper for the government to borrow this way. So now he's acknowledging that the government isn't going to pay its bills by printing notes and putting them in circulation. It's going to borrow to give its note. To be used as money. What he really means is if it were money. Of course it is, he says. All our money has been notes for many years. How can money be a note? Well, either it is or it isn't. And he argues from both sides. Further, any of us may give his note in payment for goods and services. Hold on a minute. Have you ever given a note in payment for anything? If you had, then that meant that the obligation was over and you never needed to pay that note. You don't give notes in payment. You give notes to defer the payment, and you're going to have to pay that note in money or in something later on. So he's wrong again. Further, any of us may give his note in payment for goods and services, and if there is confidence that that note will be paid, wait a minute. He said earlier in the same sentence that we gave the note in payment. Now he's saying midway into the sentence that that the note will be paid. Was it paid, or will it be paid? Those are not synonymous. It may be passed as cash. And again, what he really means, as if it were cash. From one person to another in trade. The Constitution, Article 1, Section 8, provides that Congress borrow. Borrow what? Borrow money. On He doesn't say that, though. He just says Congress borrow. On the credit of the United States, and then pay the debts. What better way than this? I'd love to go into that in greater detail, but I think I'm probably going to Uh, beat this horse to death I'm going to go to his conclusion uh, which starts at page 154 and then goes to 155 Uh, he says uh, my next book, Honest Government, will deal with reforms needed to bring the United States back under the Constitution as this money monopoly over the nation is finally broken I wish we would come back under the Constitution anyway, he says on page 155 it may seem that we are hoping for too much, that it is impossible to overthrow this giant combine and recover our government and our monetary system. But there is a way. Those leaders who are rallying the voters can call for a return to Almighty God and His righteousness and seek His help. Well, there's a good start. His conditions for blessing are very clearly given in Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now, he doesn't bother to define sin, but we know that sin, First John 3, 4, is transgression of the law. Part of that law is a law of just weights and measures. And just weights and measures is the critical core, central issue to the global economic demise that we are facing right now. And you cannot have just weights and measures unless there is something as money that you can weigh or measure. And he doesn't propose to use anything as money. As reform comes, the greatest care must be taken, he says, to prevent traitors in the pay of financiers from worming their way into the control of their reform and delivering it into their master's hands. Well, he's part of that delivery system, whether he knows it or not. We cannot trust lobbyists or public officials, I agree, intent only on saving their own jobs. Only patriots with a willingness to lay down their lives, their fortunes, their sacred honor can be trusted with this work. Contemporary Sons of Liberty will be as careful with their wording of the new monetary bill as were the founding fathers with that of the Constitution. One phrase, indeed one word, slipped in or used inadvertently may nullify the whole movement. Well, Mr. Norburn, Mr. Thorne, Mr. Warner... Mr. Zarlenga, Mr. Bill, still Ellen Brown. I can't. I can't believe how many there are out there. Can't wait not only to insert a word incorrectly, whole phrases, whole sentences. Uh, I've never heard so much nonsense spoken so authoritatively in such a short period of time. It's a presentation I heard given by Mr. Uh, Steve Zarlenga a couple of years ago up in Cleveland. Incredible. Anyway. We're running short on time. I'd love to go into a little bit more, but what we're going to do right now, since I probably have a few seconds, so I'm going to turn to Billions for the Bankers, debts for the People, written by Sheldon Emery, Pastor Sheldon Emery. This one is an old copy, and it goes back quite a few years, goes back into the 70s, early 70s, or thereabouts. Page 17, he says... Subtitle, The Constitutional Way, Every Citizen, A Stockholder. If we would have used the constitutional way of creating the money, he puts that in quotation marks, needed in the nation, the federal Congress should spend most of its time and study on the issuance and control of an adequate supply of stable money for the people. He calls that the constitutional way. Over and over and over again, these people insist that the power to coin money means to create it out of nothing. To regulate the value, just so that we'll clarify that for somebody who isn't quite sure what that means. That means to regulate the weight and purity of those coins. You can go to Black's Law edition, a fifth edition, look up the word value, go all the way down the column. It's a fairly long definition. And you get to the Constitution pursuant to Article 1, Section 8, in Paragraph 5. What did it mean there? It meant to regulate the weight and the purity, if you will, of those coins so that it all came out the same. A $1 weight of silver would be 412.5 grains of 90% pure silver. Every single one of those coins would come out the same way. Okay. This is our music. This is our last break. And you're listening to datum Line. I'm going to turn back to the Truth in Money book one more time to close out this uh, subject today. And that is page 174, 175, 3rd edition, 1989, where they have a subtitle, What Are the Moral Issues? And I'd like to find out what the moral compass is of these authors and what they consider to be the moral issues. So here's what the moral issues are Quote, When we consider these moral issues, we need to ask ourselves two simple questions. So the moral issues are now reduced to two questions. Question number one, when money is created, to whom should it belong? Question number two, who is the sovereign authority in the United States? Those are the moral issues. The moral issue is not whether it's right or wrong to create money out of nothing. Martha at least asked that question, and they skirted that question by not answering it, simply saying, well, that's what we do. And so, okay, okay. so question number one, when money is created, to whom should it belong? Answer, to the sovereign, under whose authority it is created. Now, they said throughout their book that government is sovereign. The sovereign, under whose authority it is created. Okay, what is created? Money. Question, who is the sovereign authority in the United States? Answer, the American people. Now, they're confused. I would agree that constitutionally the American people are sovereign. Sovereign over government, which was the servant although government has some sovereign authority within limited scope, but they confuse the American people with Congress. They believe that Congress and the American people are one and the same. Now, they don't understand the subject of principal and agent. You see, when uh, someone hires an attorney to represent them in court, the attorney is the agent, and he represents the client. The client is the principal, and the, pr- the, c- the client is the one who will go to jail if it's a jailable offense and is found guilty, not the more deserving attorney. There's a difference between the agent, being Congress, and the American people. So I have a question for all you populists out there: What legal theory authorizes the agents, that being Congress, bound by oath on behalf of their principal, the American people, to violate that oath, granting to themselves a power which, if exercised by the people, who are in fact sovereign? is punishable by law, written by the agents. What legal theory authorizes the agents, bound by oath, on behalf of their principle, to violate that oath, granting to themselves a power which, if exercised by the people, is punishable by law, written by the agents? Now, I've got some Bible believers out there who are probably upset with me because I said that the people are sovereign. But there is an absolute sovereign. God is the absolute sovereign. But in the contract between we, the people of the United States, who do ordain and establish this Constitution, between those people and the servants of those people, the people are sovereign. Yet they granted to government certain powers which that government is lawfully empowered to perform and is sovereign only in those limited areas. We'll probably get into that in the next broadcast. And we will pick up a little bit more on this Article 1, Section 8, Paragraph 5, Confusion, in the next broadcast as well. Then in the following broadcast, we're going to go to the legal tender debates of 1861. Be sure to listen. It will be an eye opener. I'm Bruce G. McCarthy, and you've been listening to Datum Line. Have a good day.
1: Will the end come on this Friday, or will the inevitable collapse hold off for a while? The next round of the worst financial crisis in a 100 years is coming, people, and the government is out to make you and I pay for it. And Will your savings survive a global banking wipeout? What happens when the U.S. sees hyperinflation? What if taxes soar not only for the rich? Can you survive the stock market tanks? Well, between a stock market wipeout, waves of bank failures, soaring government spending that will lead to hyperinflation and the destruction of the dollar's value, isn't it time that you prepare for the uncertainty which lies ahead? Protect your money now or forever kiss it goodbye. My friends, I offer you over six decades experience of hard asset ownership and knowledge and are prepared to handle the smallest detail in the balanced protection of your portfolio. Once again, our phone number is 602-799-8214. It's almost Friday.
2: Are you one of the millions of people who feel like there is a dark cloud hanging over their heads whenever they're using pharmaceutical drugs? For some, the short-term relief can turn into an opioid addiction nightmare. You can try hemp paste by going to rbnhemppaste.com. That's rbnhemppaste.com.
3: I'm so excited to have you as part of the Wild Pastures family, and we look forward to bringing you the pasteurized meats that you and your family. Love. Now, we started Wild Pastures because so many of my clients would tell me they just couldn't find high-quality pasture-raised meats. And even when they did, it was so expensive that they couldn't afford to eat it regularly. Now, I'm not talking about the bottom of the barrel of healthy meats that have claims like natural or free-range or even cage-free, terms that were actually created by the industrial food industry to make us feel all warm and fuzzy about buying in the chicken industry. In fact, less than 0.1% of the chicken consumed in the United States is truly pasture-raised in the way that ours is. And our pork is 100% pasture-raised as well. So if you care about where your food comes from, then you'll definitely made it to the right place. As a Wild Pastures member, you'll be supporting the most highly principled farmers in America and getting the most nutrient-dense, nourishing, and sustainable meats in the world. I'm confident you'll love being part of our mission at wild pastures and you will really love the delicious nourishing meats that we're going to deliver straight to your delight.
4: visit republicbroadcasting.org and click the wild pastures banner ad secure a shipment today beef poultry and pork raised the way nature intended
5: or call us at 818-965-9113 Monday through Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. California time. That's 818-965-9113. Drinksupertea.com
2: My name is John. I'm the founder of Blackout Coffee, and I started uh, Blackout because I really love coffee. I've always loved coffee, and after traveling so much to Europe, South America, and trying so many different coffees that were so good, and uh, every time I came back, You have to try ours. It's fresh roasted. It's one of the best beans that we can get. And you will definitely see the difference. Visit blackoutcoffee.com and use the coupon code REPUB10.
6: That's R E P U B one Zero.
7: Corporate media dominates the American opinion. Thank mm-hmm.
1: Hey there, are you going to wait till the
4: cows come home to get your new Ease-Off drop-and-lift?
7: What in the world is an Ease-Off drop-and-lift?
4: Our Ease-Off is a new tool to increase production for your meat processing company that will get that whole hog or half a beef on or off your rail with our remote control.
7: That sounds great, but can I afford it?
4: Sure, and the Ease-Off installs fast. The effortless operation will reduce fatigue, speed up your line, and increase profits.
7: Okay, I'm convinced. Where can I get my ease off?
4: Go to easeoff.com. That's e a z e o f f.com. And hurry because we're offering free shipping for a limited time. easeoff.com. We make pigs fly. Cows too.
7: Easeoff LLC 417-932-6419.
4: Extend your life with over. Hello, hello, hello from beautiful Colorado. My name is Samuel Jung K, and I am currently the lead Shilajee hunter and master herbalist for Colorado Shilajee Company. In this video series, I will be discussing what we believe is the greatest of all adaptogenic superfoods and the single greatest natural healing remedy gifted to us by Mother Earth. I think you, too, will become as excited by this incredible substance called Shiloji as we were and are after our discovery of this amazing gift right here in beautiful, colorful Colorado. You may already know Shilajit by other names. Shilojit, Momio, Momi, Mami, Mineral Pitch, asphaltum, and others. Shioji literally translates to destroyer of weakness and conqueror of mountains. Shioji has been used for thousands of years and is considered as the highest valued cure all of any earthly substance. Look for the gold mountain and medical symbol logo in banners on republicbroadcasting.org to watch the full video and see more information. Use code GORBN when ordering. That's G-O-R-B-N.
3: The secret to aging like fine wine is in the vines. Syrah grape seeds and skins contain high levels of flavonoids and resveratrol. Fermentation breaks these organic compounds down into smaller molecules, penetrating these therapeutic ingredients deeper into the skin, delivering faster and more effective results. Our handmade fermented skin care products are formulated with all natural ingredients and do not contain any phthalates or parabens. Similar products can cost as much as $180. At Natural Earth Medicine, we source our ingredients from local Arizona vineyards and cold process our oils to ensure that our customers receive the highest quality product in its purest form. Learn more at our website and try our fermented skincare products today. Visit NaturalEarthMedicine.com. That's NaturalEarthMedicine.com.